Stop telling your visions to other people because they're not going to see it. Why you think you keep imagining opening a business? Why you keep imagining graduating, getting a better job? Why do you keep imagining buying a house? Why do you keep imagining driving a really nice car? Why do you keep imagining getting rich one day? Why do you keep imagining that? Because God is talking to you. He's showing you something that he has for you. He puts it in your imagination, man. See, God is good, man. You've got to understand how good God is. He ain't playing with you. He the real deal. He created you, and then he even showed you what he got for you. You got to start believing in your imagination. You got to start talking to him about these stuff you be seeing. But you have not because you ask not. So if you see the vision, the imagination, but you don't ask God for it, what you want him to do? He showed it to you. Faith without works is dead. So now you got to put in work. All of y'all sitting in here, you want a better life, correct? Have you, haven't you imagined a better life? Okay, who, who you think he showed it to? He showed it to you. Why you think he showed it to you? Because he want to give it to you. But if you don't work, if you don't ask him for it, he cannot give it to you. Because he created us with the power of choice. We make choices every day. If you decide that you will be poor, there's nothing I can do. You're going to be poor. If you decide to be rich today, who's going to stop you? Who? If you decide you want to be rich, all you got to do is start. Why not? Who's going to stop you? Unless you tell it to the wrong person. Mama, mama, listen to me. I'm going to be rich. Anybody rich in this family? Go in there and sit down somewhere. Get yourself a good job. Oh, mama, you must be right. No, mama could be wrong. Because what you have in your imagination, God didn't show it to your mama. I'm sorry. He showed it to you. Listen to me. If y'all don't do nothing else, write everything you imagine down. Write it all down. Pray about it and watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because let me tell you something. If God can fix me, you have no idea who you're looking at. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've been through. You you wouldn't even talk to me if you knew what I had to do to be here. But God is in the forgiving business. God is in the get your life together business. God is in the turn it around business. God is in the saving business. God did all that for me. So I'm telling you right now, if God can fix Steve Harvey and turn him into this, I bet he can turn you into that. All right, thank you. When it comes to lasting a long time, to standing tall and being strong, but knowing when to bend, the trees have a lot to teach us. I don't know if you have ever had first-hand experience of the tremendous destructive power of tropical force storms. I've experienced a hurricane and had a chance to witness close up and personal what a combination of wind and water can do to everything that stands in its path. The rain fell so long and hard that it completely soaked the ground and loosened the roots of even the tallest trees. 
At the same time, the wind blew with such force that century-old trees, tall and hard and strong, were blown over like so many toy soldiers standing on parade knocked down by a toddler at play. However, the enormous willows, some standing tall as a house and covering what would be an entire lot in some parts of the city, lithe and flexible and bending and bowing gracefully to the slightest breeze or to the mightiest gust weathered the heavy blows of the storm. They were almost the only large objects left standing after the air had cleared. Not only were tall trees and power poles and seawalls crushed by the storm, houses built to stand up under normal circumstances collapsed and their roofs were carried off in one piece and blown clear into the next county. Everything that tried to oppose the storm's fury was damaged or destroyed. Everything that gave way, that was strong yet flexible, survived. Maybe some of you remember playing the game of scissors, stone, and paper when you were kids. You know, make a fist and count to three. At three, put out a flat hand, paper, two fingers, scissors, or keep the fist, stone. In the game, scissors cut paper, paper covers stone, and stone breaks scissors. Whoever put out the winning object got a point. The best strategy was not to stick to one thing. You had to try and guess what your opponent would offer and turn your fist into the thing that would defeat your opponent's scissors, stone, or paper. This game teaches a child to think about the nature of materials, how something can be strong or appropriate in one situation and yet be the wrong tool, a losing proposition in another. It also teaches a child to vary his approach, to be flexible, so that his opponent can't anticipate what he's going to do, and recognize that even as you are trying to outsmart the other guy, the other guy is also trying to outsmart you. It remains to be seen how the great changes we are seeing right now in our own day the laptop computer and the rise of the internet, the prospect of scheduled flights on the space shuttle and the falling away of international boundaries to trade, the rise of nations in the Pacific Rim and the apparent decline of the old European powers, it remains to be seen how these changes will affect our own lives and the lives of our children. You see, the nature of change is such that these things which today look so large and important may turn out to be mere flashes in the historical pan. There may be something else we haven't even thought about. It could be something as obscure as a population explosion among virus-resistant rabbits in Australia. That will be the key element in global changes we can neither anticipate nor even imagine. Let me point out another important distinction between character and charisma. You may have noticed it already. In both its definition and its derivation, character doesn't refer to other people. It doesn't refer to having power over other people or getting other people to follow you or gaining favor with other people. Character is something that you have and that you are. You could be marooned on a desert island 
and your character would still be important. In fact, it would likely be very important in that situation. But charisma wouldn't do you any good at all. Charisma requires the presence of others, while character is all about you. Character is the person you are after you've chiseled and chiseled and have gotten past all the unnecessary material to what's underneath. But since we're usually surrounded by other people, let me be a little more specific about how the differences between a charismatic person and a person with character can play out in the real world, particularly in leadership situations. Here are four sets of circumstances that can easily occur. First, a really charismatic person can make people believe there's pie in the sky or that the sky is going to fall tomorrow, one just as easily as the other. By creating these expectations, charismatic individuals can indeed energize and inspire others or terrify and demotivate them until the overblown scenarios are proven false and the charisma runs out. But a person of character doesn't need to be anyone's Pied Piper and isn't comfortable in that role. Instead, he or she looks within for the true source of inspiration and energy. Second, a charismatic person can inspire devoted or even fanatical loyalty. But this can all too easily turn into an unconscious sense of dependency. And that can make matters difficult when the leader is no longer available. Like a charismatic coach, effective during the glory years. But when he leaves the organization, there is a sense of abandonment and the team may never achieve anything like its prior success. Powerful personalities often resist delegating authority, but it's an attitude of character for a leader to refrain from making himself or herself the indispensable heart and soul of an organization. The last and most important category of laughter I'll mention might be called real laughter. It's spontaneous, it's happy, it's unpremeditated. It has no hidden agenda. It happens when you see or hear something that's really funny. I'd like to spend a moment talking about this category of real laughter because it's one of the most important aspects of humor. The more real laughter you can bring into your life, the better off you'll be. I've spoken quite a bit about children and the raising of children in this program. And kids are really our best source of knowledge about real laughter. They really put their whole selves into it. We lose that to a large extent as we get older, and I'm not sure that loss can be completely avoided. For example, think about someone, one of your own kids, a neighbor or a niece or a nephew that you've watched grow up. Whatever interest this person pursues today, it's likely that he or she was a budding artist in the early years. Crayons, markers, and pads of paper are standard issue in most households with young kids. And those kids draw big, beautiful pictures with all sorts of colors and patterns. At that age, there are no rules about keeping inside the lines and using certain colors for certain objects. Those pictures that grace refrigerators across the country are examples of artistic genius. Then when kids grow to about five or six years old, 
Their drawings change. They begin drawing stick figures standing next to houses that consist of a triangle on top of a square. Kids this age are still just as proud of their drawings and actually see them as a big advance over the ones they've done as babies. And they are more advanced in some ways, but they're also less free. There's a sense of responsibility about them, an effort to put everything in the right place and make everything the right color and the right size. In addition, around the same time as these kids' drawings change, their laughter changes too. It's still delightful, but there's more awareness in it. I guess that's just the way it's got to be. As the British poet William Wordsworth put it, though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass and glory in the flower, we will grieve not, but rather find strength in what remains behind. I think that the people that are on, that are discovering how to unleash their greatness are people who have the mental resiliency yeah. and the courage to face failure, that you will fail your way to greatness. Clarity breeds and builds and is the DNA of mastery. You want to have a very clear vision of what your future is going to look like. And when you know in intimate detail what your future will look like, then you automatically, subconsciously, as well as consciously, can say no to the important, so you say a giant yes to the few things that are most important. And that potential is partly what you could be if you interacted with the world in a manner that would gain you the most information right because you build yourself out of the information in the piagetian sense but it's deeper than that too because we know that if you take yourself and you put yourself in a new environment new genes turn on in your nervous system they encode for new proteins 